0: Well, there you are again. Welcome back to Known, stories to make sense of it all. I'm Dick Foth, and it's summertime, and when I think summer, I think road trip. So that's what these next few minutes are going to be about. Road trip is um, something that is complete with detours, unplanned stops, refueling, meals on the go, new friends, all of that. What's cool about the idea of road trip is that I think it's a perfect metaphor for life. When we take road trips, my thought is that road trips get exciting when you're with other folks. You can take them by yourself, sort of the lonely Zen motorcycle thing. But usually, you know, when you have small families or even large families, the road trip is an adventure. When we take road trips in large groups, we call those migrations. And the history of the world is full of those. We're not talking about herds of kudu or wildebeest on the plains of Africa following water or food. I'm talking about human migrations. Human migrations occur when people are fleeing wars or looking for freedom or better economic opportunity most of the time. And there have been some huge ones. I mean, just just look at the economic ones. Between 1861 and 1970, it's estimated that 13 million people left Italy, for example, for better lives. Since the 1700s, between 9 and 10 million people have migrated from Ireland. More recently, 160 million Chinese have moved from the rural areas to the cities, For those economic opportunities. Sometimes it's politics, right? In 1947, I was a five year old boy in South India, and I can remember standing on a street corner with a little British flag in one hand and an Indian flag in the other, uh, because I was in a boarding school up in the hills of South India, watching the Empire march out of India. The British, after several hundred years, were giving India its independence, but the tensions within the country, especially between the religious uh, folks, was huge, between Hindus and Muslims. So they decided to partition India in 1947 and create another two countries out of one. So they have India, and then on the east and the west corners, northwest, northeast corners of India, they ...took off sections and they called it East and West Pakistan. That is now Pakistan in the West and Bangladesh in the East. But when they did that, 20 million people had to move. Here in our own country, the largest human migration here... ...occurred between 1843 and 1867. Big road trip. The route, in broadest terms, was called the Overland Trail... It was people in the east moving west because land was offered. The gold rush was in play in 1849. Lots of different things. And uh, the Overland Trail was more specifically called the Oregon-California Trail. Because as people moved west, they came to a place, I think it was in Idaho, where the California Trail split off and folks went that way, down to Sacramento and Sutter's Fort, and the rest went toward Oregon, the Willamette Valley, and up into the Portland area, about 2,100 miles from the Missouri River to the West Coast, four to six months to make the trek by wagon or on horseback or on foot. That time frame... 1843 to 1867 was huge now other folks had gone earlier than 1843 but not in the numbers or in the organizational uh, framework that they had starting in 1843 summer of 1843 was big several hundred travelers began the first major effort to head all the way west trail began in saint joe missouri moved through northeast corner of kansas onto fort Kearney, nebraska what they found was that, that hustlers, if you will, in Missouri had oversold these folks. They'd said, you need all of this food and all of these belongings. By the time they had traveled several hundred miles and they were in Carney, Fort Kearney, Nebraska, they were leaving stuff. One account says that outside Fort Kearney at one point there were 20,000 pounds of bacon just left on the prairie. And other folks said, the further west you moved, it was just uh, like one huge dumping place for everything from iron uh, baking ovens, to bedsteads, to clothing, all kinds of things. The Oregon Trail was not a single trail. It was a broad series of tracks, especially in those early times across Nebraska A broad series of tracks, sometimes for a couple of three, four miles on either side of the Platte River going west. They went through Nebraska on to Fort Laramie and Wyoming, angling up into Pocatello and Boise, Idaho and into eastern Oregon. Then they turned north through Baker City up to Pendleton, the Columbia River and on to Portland. The trip itself was no um, easy thing. That's the understatement of the century. This was not Interstate 80 as we know it now. It was brutal. It was stormy. It was dangerous. Uh, epidemics, because of water that was stagnant and all kinds of things, epidemics of cholera and smallpox wiped out significant numbers. Out of the almost 400,000 people that went just to Oregon in those years, it's estimated that perhaps 40,000 would die on the trail they were buried where they died oftentimes in shallow graves sometimes and this sounds gross for me to say but sometimes they would bury the people in the wagon ruts so that as wagons went over it would drive their bodies down into the turf so that animals could not get at them and I look at that and I say that's an incredible trip it's an incredible not just not so much an adventure, but just a drive to get someplace where there could be new life and new opportunities. Ruth and I thought about this a bit. Most recently, when we took our own driving road trip out to California and up to Oregon and back a few weeks ago, our purpose was to go to the graduation of our grandson, Jack Ottman, near San Francisco. On the way back we covered a bit of that Oregon Trail, beginning in the town of Vale, Oregon, right at the western border of Idaho, because that's where it turns north, up toward Pendleton. On the way to Vale, coming across from the Willamette Valley, we passed through a couple of high desert towns, settled in the late 1800s, and I just wanted to just make some observations there. So we came to the town of Bend, Oregon. It's a bright blue morning in Bend, Oregon. Bend Oregon sits in the high desert actually uh, just to the east of the Willamette Valley it's the the atmosphere is not unlike that of the Front Range and Fort Collins and other places along that part of the Eastern Rockies Bend is a delightful city and though I stand in the parking lot well near the parking lot amid trees and beautiful lupin on this bright June morning where I stand used to be the site of a sawmill. Back at the turn of the last century, Bend was home to two sawmills that made it kind of a boomtown at that time. It got its name, actually, Bend, um, by series of eliminations, if you will. Uh, somebody wanted to call it by the name of a person who settled here. Another person or other folks wanted to call it Pilot Butte. It's a bluff outside of town that sort of gave a a a waypoint or a direction finder to travelers. It was called actually Farewell Bend for many years because some settlers stopped here and others crossed the Deschutes River on their way further west in Oregon to the Willamette Valley or up to the end of the Oregon Trail in Oregon City near Portland when they submitted the name Farewell Bend to the United States Post Office apparently one account says that the post office said that's too long a name we'll just call you Bend so here we are and so I I stand on the site of sawmills where you no longer hear the sound of saw blades ripping through fir and pine what you hear is the sound of children's squeals as they play in the nearby river and the sound of traffic because this is a tourist destination Wherever you go, around the world or across this land, wherever you stop, it has a history, has a present, and in most cases has a future, and you get hints of that. You get hints of past, present, and future on a road trip. I think that's why I like them. Back in the car, we kept heading east, and a couple hours later, 130 miles or so, East of Bend is another community, not at all like Bend. It's called Burns. Just past noon, high desert of Oregon. Burns to be exact, a town out in an arid area that's well-known for its timber and um, other kinds of ranching activities. Home historically to the Northern Paiute Indian tribe. His name Burns, again, by a postmaster here, his name was McGowan. And he named it Burns because of his home in Scotland. He came from Scotland and Robert Burns, Robbie Burns, as they would say, was a favorite poet of his. Thence we have Scotland in the middle of Oregon. Just another road trip stop. Oh, and by the way, if you're stopping for lunch, Glory Days. A wonderful little place that serves pizza, but mainly we came for the salad. Stopped at a gas station, and Oregon is one of the very few places where they still insist on pumping gasoline for you. And um, the young bearded Gas attendant, when I asked him what's a good place to eat, he said just down past the high school north side of the road, Glory Days, they have a wonderful salad bar, three tables long, it's always crisp and good food, it's uh, good vegetables, always fresh. So, next time you want to know a place, ask a gas attendant, hope it'll be a, a bearded, healthy young man from Oregon that steers you to a salad bar. So that's what a road trip is. It reflects on history and making some of your own. You say, does this, what you're saying here, have anything, any roots in Scripture, anything like that? Because you're always big on Scripture. Actually, it does. When you read the Scriptures, when you read the Bible, it's almost like a 1,600-year-long road trip. I mean, it's not all that, but look at the Old Testament the baseline or the, sig- the most significant single event, apart from creation and the giving of the law and so forth, is this human migration called the Exodus. Hundreds of thousands of people being let out of slavery in Egypt. They're 40 years out. In, how do you talk about high desert. It's in low desert. Uh, and just an unbelievable number. Some scholars think perhaps as many as 2 million people. I don't know how you do that. But they the huge migration of people into that place that they called the promised land. When you get to the New Testament, Jesus takes a trip, the big one, you know, from heaven to earth. But his first road trip on planet earth is in his mother Mary's womb. Not much later, after he's born, maybe a couple years old, he takes another one as a refugee to Egypt. The gospels are full of road trips. And the book of Acts, is just one huge road trip. Within that book, there's this fellow called the Apostle Paul. Saul, sort of a, back in the day, or or today we would call him a terrorist. He killed people for religious reasons. And um, he was transformed on a road trip. He was going up over the Golan Heights from Israel over to Damascus, Syria. And he has an encounter with God that changes him. He's knocked down essentially by light. And it transforms his life. And it's interesting because when he has to stand before kings and judges in his later years, even though he's a lawyer, essentially, he could marshal rational arguments. He doesn't talk about that. What he talks about in his defense is the vision that he had on his road trip to Damascus. He just says it this way. I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. So. Let me, let me just go for a moment. I'm a grandpa. Let me go back to my grandson, our grandson, Jack. The reason we went west was for his graduation from a high school on the south side of San Francisco. It's a transition point on his own life journey, obviously. It was a refueling stop called high school. And it was like the wagon trains on the Oregon Trail. It was not done alone. The thing about the Oregon Trail was that when you traveled with numbers of people, there were so many places you had to stop because it was steep. You had to unload the wagons. The kids and the teenagers carried flour barrels and all kinds of goods up to the top of the hill. They let the wagons down over the bluff by chains and ropes. And they did that again and again and again. Road trips are best done, clearly, together. And Jack... Was asked to give one of the commencement talks. This is a five-minute commencement talk to his class, and uh, he sort of chose that theme. But um, I asked him if he would retalk it, if you will, do it again for me. Sitting in a car the day after, and as he as he gives his thoughts, he mentions a boy named Dietrich toward the end of his talk who happens to be a very large freshman so here i am with jack so it's saturday june the 1st and i'm sitting in my car with our grandson jack ottman 18 years old graduated high school last night near san francisco so jack you are now a high school graduate and i've asked you to do two things so first of all say hi to the folks listening
1: Hi to the folks listening, <laughs> so
0: last night you gave one of the commencement talks, yeah to your high school class and it's a it's it's not a huge high school but it's kind of a prep school on the south side of San francisco mm-hmm. I just like I just like you to read it or summarize it for us and for those of you listening, if you hear airplanes in the background, we're not far from the San Francisco airport, so we'll just go with the ambient sound and um
1: Go ahead, Jack, talk to me. Directors, faculty, friends, family, and the class of 2019. 2019, that seemingly arbitrary number that we only ever used to see attached to the end of our emails is now finally relevant. A number that seemed a lifetime away in 2015 with our whole high school career still lying ahead of us still doesn't seem real today. We've never been an exceptionally loud class, But freshman year, we were at our quietest. We were surrounded by the class of 2016, who were so physically intimidating that they had to have been on steroids or HGH or almond milk or something, and the class of 2018 before they calmed down. You were never an Alma Heights freshman if you didn't have several uncomfortable encounters with Stephen Lee before he even introduced himself. We were shy, awkward, fresh types, and we didn't talk to anyone outside of our English class or gender. We didn't really know each other. Sophomore year, we learned to open up. We finally learned everyone's names, and we were able to just relax, since classes weren't too hard. From freshman year to the end of this year, we lost over a third of our class, and with fewer people than ever wandering around campus, we went from strangers to acquaintances. A group of students that were cautiously optimistic about our academic futures, excited to be upperclassmen. That excitement wore off very quickly. Junior year was basically the tenth layer of hell. So many all-nighters, so much work to do, so little time, so little energy, so many new expectations and acronyms. It was terrifying. The motto for that year was GRIT, which means perseverance in spite of hardships. But by the second semester, our class had developed its own motto. Do tomorrow, do tomorrow. Every single one of us was working the hardest we had ever worked and it was exhausting. But something new was happening in between those moments of exhaustion. Those hour-long conversations condensed into a glance, a shrug, and a nod. Those outbreaks of hysterical laughter during 3 a.m. Skype calls. The endless group projects with the one member who seemed like they were only there for moral support. And those brief, quiet moments of rest. We didn't do anything alone. We studied, failed, exceeded expectations, laughed, cried, and grew together. Things were really hard, but most of the time, we sort of knew what we were doing. We were juniors, but above all else, we were friends. We always had each other. And this year, we're the seniors. We're the ones that all the freshmen, except Dietrich, look up to. But this year has been the most confusing of them all. All of our hard work over the past four years, finally accumulating in a thumbs up or a thumbs down from the mysterious creature that is the college admissions decision. Many of us have spent this year trying to make up for whatever we missed out on in the previous years some of us focused on improving grades, others on growing closer to the people they never really got to know as well as they would have liked, and every single one of us really gave a lot more attention to sleep. And all of us have wondered whether or not it was worth it, whether our four-year struggle was worth where we've ended up. And I can't answer that question for everyone here. This year, there's no collective experience, no singular feeling that's defined us. But when I look back on high school, after most of the memories have started to fade, I'm not going to remember the grades or the lack of sleep. I'm going to remember you guys. The stupid inside jokes, the huge fights that blew over in a week, the Marvel movies, the play, each and every retreat, the games of Jackbox, the rants, losing people, finding friends, the ups, the downs, the good, the bad, all of it. Those quiet moments in the cabin, freshman year at retreat. And of those, I wouldn't change a thing. They brought us to here, to today, in 2019, from strangers to family. And as long as I remember anything about these days, as long as any of you are still around, it was worth it. I love you guys. While
0: we were still together in the car since I had Jack as a captive audience of one, I asked him to share a gift that he had gotten for graduation. Here it is. So on the first of June, we had a party for our grandson, Jack, and people brought gifts, and his parents, among other things, gave him a book. It wasn't War and Peace. It was not some huge tome by a presidential scholar. It was, in fact, a sort of Dr. Seuss-like book called Wherever You Go, written by Pat Zietlow Miller, and uh, it has to do with road trips. So, Jack, Why don't
1: you read it for us? All right. When it's time for a journey to learn and to grow, roads guide your footsteps wherever you go. Roads give you chances to seek and explore. Want an adventure? Just open your door. Roads go over a hill under a bridge, deep in a valley high on a ridge. If you yearn for the ocean or wish for a stream, roads bring you closer to reaching your dream. Roads zoom. Roads zoom. Beneath city buildings that tower on high, twinkling like stars in the dark velvet sky. Racing past signs, reflecting their light, zigging and zagging, turn left, then turn right. Roads bend. Detours head where you wouldn't expect, showing you various ways to connect. Bringing you closer, then curving away. You always have choices, to go or to stay. Roads reach. Across flowing rivers, past harvards and bays, with breathtaking bridges designed to amaze. Attaching two places that once were apart, choose to cross over, follow your heart. Roads merge. Small distant roads sometimes travel alone, marking the miles out there on their own. Then a new road wants to join in the fun, heads the same way, and the two become one. Roads grow. Well-traveled roads sometimes need extra space to guide life's adventures to a new place. Which paths should you choose that's easy to see, the one that will take you where you wish to be. Roads wait. For click clacking trains and boats with tall sails, slow going wagons that are carrying hay bales. Stoplights and crosswalks, a deer with a friend, roads sometimes pause or just come to an end. Roads climb. Steep mountain peaks, dusted lightly with snow, rising above the deep canyon below, clinging to cliffs, chasing a cloud, reaching the top, tired but proud. Roads remember every life landmark, the big and the small, the moments you tripped, the times you stood tall, where you were going and where you began, what you expected, what you didn't plan. Roads return. During your journey, you'll ramble and roam, but sooner or later, you'll think of your home. After you've seen all you needed to see, a road takes you back where you're longing to be. Back to that hill, under the bridge deep in your valley high on your ridge roads take you all over the planet but then you always can follow them back home again
0: so jack ramon i remember when you were born 18 years and 2 months ago here in the on the what they call the peninsula of san francisco mm-hmm. and just want you to know that on this june 1st 2019 that We're proud of you, that's for sure. You're off to an honors program at a university in Southern California. But mostly, we're grateful. So there.
1: I'm grateful for you guys, too. Thank you, Grandpa. I love you. I love you, too. Bye. So there you
0: have it. Life is one huge road trip. There are lots of smaller ones embedded in the larger one that make up the whole. But I'd just like to encourage you this summer day to savor the moments, savor the trips, exult in your companions on the way. You are on the move, you're not static, and you have things to learn about life and yourself and God around every bend in the road. That's it for now. Catch you next time when we have another story to tell to help make sense of it all.